Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, the weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called The Spirit Gives Life. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, April 2nd, 2017. This is a guest essay by Sister Nancy Uselman. Sister Nancy is the director of the Pauline Center for Media Studies and a media literacy education specialist. She has degrees in communication arts and a master's in theology and the arts from Fuller Theological Seminary. The title of Sister Nancy's essay is called The Spirit Gives Life. I was recently walking on a busy city street on St. Patrick's Day with all the revelers heading to the pubs and showing the effects in their loud and obnoxious behavior. I was struck by a homeless man hunched in the corner of a building on the sidewalk, easily overlooked by the passers-by. I went up to him to give him some money since I could see by the sadness in his eyes that he simply wanted to be recognized as a human being instead of being treated as the scum of the earth. He just wanted to wash his clothes and was appreciative of the assistance that I gave him. I looked him in the eye and grabbed his hand, saying, that I will be praying for him in a special way. He looked at me with sad, grateful eyes. That encounter has touched me and haunted me at the same time. Tears well up in my eyes every time I think of that gentleman who was seriously down on his luck and despairing of hope for a change in his circumstances. I pray for him that God's Spirit will manifest himself to this man in a powerful and transformative way and offer him a resurrection moment. An article I read recently talked about a homeless addict who became a priest. He wrote that at the very moment of despair, he walked by a church and felt pulled to go inside. That changed his life forever. He put himself into rehab changed his lifestyle, and entered the seminary. Now he's a priest serving the poor, addicts, and prostitutes on the streets of Montreal, guiding them and helping them transform their lives. It's a true resurrection story. These two stories may seem unrelated, but in their essence they are about new life in the Spirit of God work in the world. In John's Gospel, chapter 11 for this week, Jesus waits to visit his sick friend Lazarus and then visits only after he has been in the grave four days. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, distressed by their brother's death, offer the most profound professions of faith recorded in the Gospels. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now I know that God will grant whatever you ask of him. She believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. She believed that he can overcome any situation, any power, any circumstance, because he is God. Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies, will live. What a statement. If we die, we will live. Only by reflecting on this statement deeply, 
From the depths of the soul, are we able to grasp the seeming contradiction as a truth of our ultimate destiny as human beings? Only through death will we find life. Only when we hit rock bottom can we move upward. Only in our suffering will the Spirit transform our lives. We see this not only in the Gospels, but also in the lives of the two homeless men I mentioned. One became a priest. The other is still wandering. But I pray that the Spirit opens his heart to be truly alive. We may not be wandering in the streets homeless, but if you are like me, we are all still floundering and seeking in a world that seems bent on oppressing us. We may feel that we cannot seem to catch a break, as so many homeless people experience. Life seems to go well for brief moments of time, but those are present only so we can handle the dark moments with greater strength. Those oppressive, gloomy moments can be the opportunity for the Spirit of God to enlighten our minds and hearts. Paul so eloquently says in Romans for this week that human nature of itself can only look forward to death. But the spirit that lives within us as baptized believers looks forward to life and peace. Romans 8, 6. Our natural inclinations, says Paul, lead to despair and death. In moments of darkness, it's easy to give in to the natural realm which is to give up in despair. But Paul reminds us that if we live according to the Spirit, not giving in to all our natural inclinations, but trusting the grace of the Holy Spirit to transform us, then we find our resurrection moment. We find hope. We see the Spirit at work in our lives. We can see with the eyes of faith that there's more to life than this finite world can offer. We have life with our triune God who cherishes us, loves us, and desires our good. <clears throat> Mary and Martha believed this, and Jesus gave them the gift of their brother's natural life back to them. He raised him from the dead. Believing in the Spirit's work in our lives raises us up from our natural inclinations to sin out of the oppressions of human living, and offers new beginnings. The Spirit gives us life when life seems most bleak. These can be the resurrection moments of our lives if we turn to the Spirit in trustful surrender and unshakable faith. The Spirit gives life. A guest essay by Sister Nancy Usulman. For books this week, I re review a novel by Hisham Matar. It's called The Return, Fathers, Sons, and the Land in Between. New York, Random, 2016, 243 pages. This memoir by the Libyan writer Hisham Matar who was born in 1970, begins about seven months after the fall of Tripoli and the Gaddafi dictatorship in August of 2011. 
In March of 2012, Matar and his wife Diana returned to Libya for the first time in 33 years, since his family had left when he was only eight years old. At the age of 15, Matar packed off to boarding school in England, where he lived for the next 29 years. No one at that time expected the grim and chaotic future that awaited Libya not long after. After all, it was a period of patriotic optimism during the Arab Spring. Matar's return was filled with fear and longing, and for good reason. In 1990, when he was 19 and still in England, his father, Jabala, a prominent figure in the Libyan opposition movement to the tune of $15 million a year, was kidnapped by Gaddafi's thugs. He was then sent to the notorious Abu Salim prison in Tripoli, a hellhole known as the last stop because of its torture, cruelty, and, in 1996, the execution of almost 1,300 prisoners. Except for three letters that were smuggled out, Matara never heard from his father again. Hisham had returned home. But would Jabala ever return? His trip in 2012, after 20 years of anguish, and a campaign that reached the highest levels of British diplomacy and even Gaddafi's son, was meant to answer that question. It's a story fraught with hope and dread. Matar writes, When your father has been made to disappear for 19 years, your desire to find him is equal by your fear of finding him. You are the scene of a shameful private battle. What happened to his father? Was he shot, hanged, executed in the 1996 prison slaughter? Could he still be alive? Hisham Matar had sent over 300 letters of inquiry without a single response. Rage and bitterness have filled his days for 20 years, but he still cannot resist hope. He's obsessed to learn what happened to his father, Jabala, whose absence remains very much a presence of its own sort. All he has left are a few photos, those three prison letters, family stories, and unresolved questions about his father's fate that haunt him. To this day. Hisham Matar's work has won numerous awards and been translated into 29 languages. Once again, the title of this memoir, The Return, Fathers, Sons, and the Land in Between. The author is Hisham Matar. For movies this week, we go to the country of England in a British film called Still Life from the year 2013. Uberto Pasolini wrote and directed this poignant story about a low-level functionary in the British bureaucracy of South London. The protagonist, John May, is a caseworker whose job is to find the next of kin 
for people who have died. That's a strange job you've got, all those people, says one person, to which May responds, I love my work. And in fact, he does. In the rare times that he's successful, and when families do not refuse assistance, as his bureaucratic form says, he will return personal effects that he has lovingly gathered. And when those who died lonely and alone are still left alone after death, May organizes their funerals, writes their eulogies, attends their burials, and spreads their ashes. The only person present in these sacred moments except for the priest or the gravedigger. May lives alone, and for supper he plops a tin of tuna onto a plate, after which he tenderly looks through a scrapbook of photos that he's made of those on whom he bestowed such dignity. The old photos of live lives and now gone take your breath away. This being a bureaucracy, May's job is so-called amalgamated, and so he's put out of work, but not before he begs his boss to finish one last case pertaining to Billy Stoke. Billy was the quintessential loner and alcoholic who lived in the apartment across from May, even though he never even met the man. May stitches together Billy's lost story, reconnects his family and friends, and plans his funeral. The last moments of this movie are some of the most powerful that I've ever seen in any film. I watched this film on Amazon streaming. The title, Still Life, from 2013. And for the season of Lent as we approach Easter, we've posted a poem by Edwina Gately. It's called Beginnings. Beginnings. Just tiny stirrings which disturb our even surface, prodding us into new and different shapes, claiming their place on our horizons, stretching us where we would not go, yet we must driven by life forces deeper than our dreams. We dare to rise and grasp towards the new young thing, not yet born, but insistent, like a tight seed bursting for life, carrying within it all the power of a woman's birthing thrust. Edwina Gately, Beginnings. You can find that poem on our website. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net. For Sunday, April the 2nd, 2017, I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.